There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning to the podcast. This is our Friday edition of the podcast, last day of the week. So we're thankful for each and every one of you listening. Looking forward to the house of God this weekend. And the whole purpose of the weekend, a lot of folks say, well, it's the time for rest. It's time for us to not work, mow the grass, go shopping. Well, for many, that is the case. I understand that. But the purpose for the weekend is to give us a day to assemble ourselves together in the house of God, prepare for what God has for us. And as a lot of folks make light of that, a lot of folks are indifferent about that. A lot of folks care less about that. But I want to say to you, it's important to be with God's people in the house of God. A lot of folks today in this home church movement, there's no authority, there's no power. Uh, they themselves have no power with God because they've been disobedient to the scriptures. Now I'm all for a home church as long as they have a hierarchy according to the scripture and also there's a man over them that takes the doctrine of the word of God and presents doctrine and preaches doctrine. That's not a problem. That's where you have to assemble as a church. But when folks just use that as an occasion to be lazy and be indifferent and stay home and not submit themselves to anybody else, because the Bible says to submit yourselves one to another. That's what the Word of God tells us. And they don't want to submit to others. It's usually just rebellion. That's what much of this movement is today. It's a movement of rebellion. Uh, folks say, well, there's no church good enough. But then they go sit there in their slippers and house coats and drink coffee, and that's good enough for them. And so that's what we're dealing with today. And so I thank God that we can assemble ourselves on the first day of the week, come together as the church historically has done since the time of Jesus Christ, and assembled ourselves in the house of God and worshiped in spirit and in truth. Thank God the church I go to as of right now, as of this day, is not under persecution. How we thank the Lord for that. Although if we were under persecution, we'd probably see great things done. Uh, but as it is, we're going to have to see great things done without the persecution. We have to see it at ease with riches and wealth and with houses and lands and all the things that we have and all the goods that we have. And being spoiled Americans, we have to find a way to walk with God in the midst of all of that. We're in Matthew 27 today. I'm going to go over verse uh, 1 down through verse 10. We've talked about this already on the podcast. I got ahead of myself a little bit, but it was something that was heavy on my heart. I feel like the Lord wanted me to go ahead and put that out there for Monday. Monday was the day that uh, many attended a funeral for a young man I've known. I've been good friends with his parents now for 17 plus years. And uh, so I dealt with Monday's podcast. I felt like I needed to get it out there early. So I moved things around and put it out there for Monday. So we're just good. We've already touched this as far as the scripture, as far as the prophecy. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they abound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Why is that? That the scripture might be fulfilled. Saying, I have sinned and then I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
And the chief priest took the silver pieces, said it is not lawful to put them in the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought them with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver and the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. Now, it's interesting in that last little bit of the scripture there, it tells us this is the scriptures being fulfilled. Jeremy the prophet, this is his prophecy coming true. But the word of God said this, they of the children of Israel did value. They had the scriptures, they had the prophecy, yet they were the ones that chose the value to put on the head of the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And they did it to fulfill scripture, probably not knowing they're fulfilling scripture. But they did it according to scripture that the prophecy could be fulfilled. This is the Son of God. This is the Lamb of God. It's about to be offered. And they fulfilled scriptures even in their wickedness. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And it's interesting because we see the wise men came. And when the wise men came to where Jesus Christ was, there's wise men from the east. Where is he, king of the Jews? And Pilate is then going to put that sign upon the cross that calls him king of the Jews. It was announced at his birth. It was announced at his death. So he asked in the middle of this, the governor asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. As the lamb before her shearers was dumb, yet he opened not his mouth. That's what Jesus Christ did to fulfill scripture. He didn't face his accusers. He kept his mouth silent. He was that lamb before her shearers. That's that burnt offering, that peace offering. Could be a ewe lamb of the flock. That's what the word of God tells us. And he's there as an offering. He's there as an offering for sin. And because he's been made sin, he stands before the priest and keeps his mouth shut. The scripture might be fulfilled concerning him that he opened not his mouth. As a lamb before her shearers was dumb. And said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not many things? They witness against thee. And he answered them to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. That is the perfect Lamb of God. That is perfect meekness. He did not answer. He did not speak. He did not defend himself. He kept his mouth shut. Why? Because the scriptures foretold that he would. He was not going to speak. He was not going to defend himself. And so he marvels because Jesus Christ has not answered him. Jesus Christ has basically ignored him. Not out of disrespect, but he wasn't going to answer him according to his folly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Wherefore, when they gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? And the word of God said this, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. They were envious because so many loved him. They were envious because so many hung on the words that he said. They were envious because he saw the mighty things that Christ had done, and they had no power with God. They were rebels. Even the high priest that time was a rebel against God. He went against the scriptures. They would not obey the scriptures. And so Pilate noted they were envious. That's why. He had no fault with him. The word of God tells us that. And so they brought this prisoner, Barabbas. They brought Jesus Christ. Who shall release unto you? And he asked them, they released. And when he sat down the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. 
So his wife comes in and lets him know this is a just man. She knows it's envy. Pilate knows it's envy. But the crowd is pushing. They brought him because as a, a governor, the Roman governor over the land, he's the one that had power and he's the one that had authority both to take Jesus Christ and to crucify him. That's why they've sought him out. And he's many, many things have been said about Pilate, many things concerning the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Some say he did it for political reasons. Some say for gain. You don't fully understand, but he's the governor. He's going to give the people what they want. We see that. But his wife said she suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But then there's that little word right there, but. That's the problem. No matter what his wife said, everybody else is pressing in. The prestigious of the Jews, the chief priests, the word of God tells us, and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the multitude still was not convinced until the chief priest, that religious sect, the elders of Israel, that's those aged men, those wise men, they're the ones that are demanding that Christ be crucified. And they had a way out at this point. They had a way to stop. They could have pulled back at any time right here and said, no, this is not right. We're not going to do this. But they would not do that. They did not do that. They were convinced when the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas. And then the word of God said, and destroy Jesus. Religion's always been that way. It puts demands on people. It takes a man. And you ladies understand what I'm saying. It takes someone with strength. It takes someone with spiritual strength to stand against the religious order and the religious sect. But God has never used a man greatly until he has stood against the religious order of the day. It doesn't matter if it's the independent fundamental Baptist movement. It doesn't matter if it's the Protestant movement. It doesn't matter if it's the Presbyterian revivals from 1915 up into the 1940s. And that includes the Billy Sunday campaigns, the Hebrides revival. Early in the, in the Welsh revival, many Presbyterians, many Methodists were involved. It doesn't matter what that stirring is. It doesn't matter what that movement is. There's a time when a religious order comes and takes over the movement. And religion deadens the movement, kills the movement, destroys everything God is trying to do. And somebody needs to come forward and stand against the religious order of the day. There were a few. We'll see. We'll see Joseph of Arimathea being one of those. And we'll see Nicodemus coming again late in the matter. But there are those that realize they're wrong. Just because they're in position, just because they're a high priest, just because they're elders, they're wrong in this matter. Pilate himself said there's no fault in this man. He, as a, as a Gentile dog, a Roman, saw there was no fault in Jesus Christ. He knew they'd taken him by envy. He wasn't a violator of the law. He was innocent. Yet, he had to die because the scripture said that he would be crucified. The governor answered and said to them, Whither the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And so he asked them what to do with Christ. And they say, let him be crucified. What evil hath he done? Let him be crucified. I find no fault in this man. Let him be crucified. He's innocent. Let him be crucified. He's done nothing. It doesn't matter to the multitude. They've been convinced by the chief priests and the scribes. Those elders in Israel have come. and They've convinced uh, the people of Israel, the multitude of Israel, to turn against Christ. They've convinced them. This is the multitude that followed him. These are those that came saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. These are those that strong palm branches in his way. These are those that were healed, those that were touched. The man of the pool of Siloam, no doubt, is part of the multitude. Those that saw the miracle, part of the multitude. Those that saw the leprous cleanse, part of the multitude. Those that were there in the multitude when the lady came and just touched the hem of his garment. 
They were in the multitude that day. They've seen the works. They've seen the marvelous works. But it's so many and so many over the years, they choose religion and the religious order over the truth of the word of God. One of the greatest snares to man is he chooses the religious order and the fear of the religious order over the fear of God. That fear of man bringeth a snare. How can you receive honor from God or receive honor one from another? You cannot do that. And that's the condition they're in. That's the position they're in. And Pilate's standing there looking at this religious order. They are those in Israel that have power with God. Uh, according, to the, according to the scriptures, the high priest is there. The chief priest is there. And we see the elders in Israel. They're the ones that are authoritative. They're the ones that can speak as the oracles of God. Pilate knows that. And what are they saying? Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but the rather atonement was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now, I put a little note here because I didn't want to forget this in Deuteronomy 21. And we see this uh, come to fruition. We see this come to pass. If one be found slain in the land, which the Lord thy God give thee to possess it, lie in the field, and it be not known who slain him. That's the innocent. That's nobody knows who slayed this man. Then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth. They shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take an heifer, which hath not been wrought with it, not been drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer into a rough valley, which is neither eared nor sown. That's outside the gate of that city. That's in a rough place, could be the place of a skull. Shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. His priests and the sons of Levi shall come near. For them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their words shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not the innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, and thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Why did Pilate have to wash his hands? He was trying to put away the guilt of the innocent blood. He said this man is innocent. The word of God told us Judas, when he came and cast his silver at their feet, told them this is the innocent blood. That is that heifer. That is why that heifer has to die for the innocent blood. That's why Pilate has to wash his hands to put away the guilt of the innocent blood, to do right in the eyes of the Lord. Pilate is partially obeying the scripture. And he washed his hands as the scriptures might be fulfilled. He took water, washed his hands for the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of that just person, see ye to it. And answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And I find it interesting, and I'll close with this, but Isaiah chapter 28. They said, His blood be on us and upon our children. But Isaiah 28 prophesied in verse 14. Herefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because ye have said we have made a covenant with death. That's the covenant. His blood be upon us and our children. And with hell what we had agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. 
Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plumber, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place, and your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. And so he tells us, they've made this covenant with death. With hell are they in agreement. His blood be on us and upon our children. That's the covenant they made with God. But the word of God said, the Lord laid in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And then in verse 18, that precious stone disannulled their covenant with death. And so I thank God, even though they said his blood be upon us and upon our children, the mercy of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ disannulled their covenant. It's gone. It's completely wiped out. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed them of that covenant. Thank God. We'll stop there. Lord willing, we'll be back next week to finish out the book of Matthew. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption for all There only was tried. Now the angels of God are rejoicing. For the prodigal child has come home. And the saints all with gladness are singing. The glory. Song of the redeemed.